My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 56 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast, sponsored by Eco Trail Wicklow this Saturday, September 24th, 2022. Hey everybody, we have a special race preview of Eco Trail Wicklow coming up with its race operations director Rene Borg and we have a really fascinating and revealing interview with Irish International, winner of 10 Imre races this year and one of the favourites for the top spot in the 46km race at Eco Trail, we talk with Edna Cloak. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go! Hope you're all well and it really is a great interview with Edna coming up shortly after our chat with Rennie. So whether you're out jogging, in the car driving or pottering around the house, switch off from the words of life for the next hour or so and enjoy a trip to the trails and mountains of Ireland with us. Before we kick things off, with all the talk of the Masters last week and their great medal hall in Clonmel, I forgot to mention the junior Irish team who won their first set of medals since 2017 at the British and Irish Junior Mental Running Championships with the girls under 20 team taking bronze medal led home in 10th place overall by Clara Keane continuing her strong all-around racing performance for this year as Clara is also the national steeplechase junior champion and national junior 5k title holder so isn't it great to see an athlete with that type of calibre on the mountains. Congrats to the girls and to Miriam Maher and all the coaching and support team involved in that medal. Another great result to report on was of course in the 450 kilometre Tour de Glacier race where the always impressive Paul Tierney finished a superb fourth place in a time of 136 hours, 23 minutes. His epic journey through the Italian Alps included around 32,000 meters of ascent, almost four times Mount Everest. Also a shout out to Bernard Fortune who won the Imre Frogenrock Glen race for the seven time out of eight participations. So well done to Bernard on that one. Before we kick off with our Eco Trail preview, a thank you as always to our Patreons. Thank you for listening and your support of the show. And I hope you continue to get some good training tips and lots of inspiration from the great Irish runners and members of the mountain and trail running community that we talk to each month. Tricia Blackburn and Kate Purcell took the time over the last week to sign up on patreon.com to become patrons of the show. Thanks a mil guys and if anybody else would like to support the show do pop over to patreon.com where you can do so. Okay let's get cracking on with our race preview of Eco Trail Wicklow. Rennie Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rennie, it's great to talk to you for what has become a bit of an annual tradition for us now to do our Eco Trail Wicklow preview. Yes, it has. Yeah, we are now, see what are we today on? We are Thursday here as we're recording. So that would leave, is nine days to go now. Or as you know, when you're involved in an organization like this, you, you think of it as T minus nine. Yeah, I suspect it's going to be very, very busy for you. And what we found worked well over the last couple of years, especially for maybe people who are coming to the course for the first time, 
just to go through each race distance and see can we offer any tips and um, for people who maybe haven't got a chance to run on the course and you know the course the course is so so well and maybe just for you to, to go through each course in terms of when people just need to be careful not to overdo it and then when they can push on hard and really kind of you know add a bit of pace to their run and I suppose that the first thing Renny I think in all of the four distances is just to be very very careful over that first what kilometer or so at the start as you leave the promenade and Bray just not to go out at 5k pace and just blow up too soon just before you get to that 26.7 um, percent gradient at the very very start of the race yeah exactly like it's a, it's a sea to summit style race you know and that means you you go from zero meters basically at, at the waterfront there in Bray uh, and then you have to go up to the first summit hill, um, which is, you know, a very, very well-known hill here in the Irish running community, um, Brayhead. Um, I think just off the top of my head on, um, I think Brayhead is around 160, um, you know, so it, it's not a big hill by actually, yes, I'm right. 180 something, nearly 190. Okay. So it's, it's by no stretch of the imagination, a big hill, but it looks um, formidable enough when you stand down there at the seafront. Um, and you, in all of the races, they start and finish the same, right? So there's a lot of overlap. So I think what we tell you now about the 19K, that goes for the 30K and the 46K and the 80K as well. Um, but you run, you have a nice flat run in there, the promenade, but then straight away, about 800 meters in, you're called to work to get up to the top of Brayhead, you know, and the big cross there that overlooks the Irish Sea. And, you, you know, you have the view across north into Dublin. So, it's if you could go and look at the split of any of the winners, even in the shorter races, and you'll notice that that split is never particularly impressive to look at. You know, if you just look at the pace and you take the context away. And that's because it's 18% gradient. And that early in the race, it's the worst time to create a significant oxygen debt, you know, and to create a, a lot of waste products that are going to mess with the functioning of your muscles um, and just kind of tire out your muscle fibers. So if there is one place to be careful, it's there. You know, they, there really is so little to be gained from being aggressive. And then at 2K, you arrive at the first summit and you're ready now to hit a flatter section between the two bray head peaks. And then your legs are already a little bit shattered you know that's just silly so you really need whatever race distance you're in you need to kind of get to that cross without feeling any particular tiredness um of course if you're competitive and you want to mix it up in the front pack you do have to of course stay within sight at least of the people that you want to make a move on later but for most people especially in the longer distances they just want to get over that spending the minimum amount of energy uh most ultra and 46k runners certainly and a lot of the 30k runners as well they're just going to power walk that kilometer yeah yeah and i think most even the very the very best runners Rene, they will power walk that as well so do not feel bad if you, you do find yourself reduced to a walk on that first climb and um, just talking of the elites on this uh race Rene, do you remember the time that Kate Purcell, um, who we spoke the last week on the show, came, was it, I think, second overall. And she set an incredible course record of 128.07, um, less than three minutes behind the men's course record of 125.22. So I think even for most of our guys who, who might be looking to run well, 
if they if they reach Kate's time of one twenty eight, that would be a good run in itself. Yeah, it would be a fantastic run. Um, I do have a feeling that if one of the top either road, cross country, or mountain runners came in to and was in good shape and ran an aggressive race, I think the I think the eighty minute barrier is breakable for that race. Mm, okay, uh, yeah. it, it will be a it will be a very nice run, but just from other courses, I think it could be done by one of the the top guys at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, for those that are coming onto the course for the first time, and a, a question that always gets asked is, especially for people who are beginning, and this is our, if you like, our, our beginner course. And um, do they need the trail shoes, or if it's a dry day? can they get away with a pair of road racers, for example? What, what do you think? You, you might get away with it, Owen, but there are, uh, you certainly would have to pick the road racer well because there is, although you know most of the trail is hard-packed and sustainable and there are significant sections that are, that are flat and there's also a few tarmac sections in all of the courses. Um, but at the same time, you do have shorter sections generally of rough trail and you just don't want to get caught in you know a very built up road shoe with a very high heel um because you know that could make you very unstable on those and although it's only a short section it would leave you only really two choices one would be to be super careful and then slow down a lot or the other would be you know that you just take the risk but then you sprain your ankle so i think if if i was to to pick a road shoe i, I would go with a more traditional racing shoe you know okay. that 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 is a little bit more stable, and people used to do that a lot. If you remember, on like I, I remember racing very well in the Wicklow Way Trail Race. It's twenty five k on the Wicklow Way in a pair of DS racers, um, but you know the DS racers were extremely flat, so that meant they had stability um, on that terrain. Although it was a road race, whereas today it has gone a little bit the different direction. You know, with the whole carbon movement that we've talked about a lot here, and I think a carbon shoe on this course would probably be a little bit risky. Yeah, I agree. And even say when I've done, say, the European and the World's races, Rene, I've often wore, I've nearly always worn the um, Adidas Takumai um, Zen shoes, which are a very, very thin sole on them. Very, very light, very compact. Um, as opposed, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go near a carbon plate shoe in this type of course. Even say something like an Adidas Adios or Boston, maybe, if you didn't want to go to trail and um, running shoe, you could maybe go for an adios or, or a boston as well for anybody that likes their their adidas shoes and um, the one of the highlights of this course is of course the the little sugar loaf Rennie, um how tough of a climb how tough of a descent is the little sugar loaf it's a tough climb deceptively so so it's a climb that's in all the routes on the way out um you you pass is a carotary estate which is this beautiful i think it's georgian um but i could be wrong a georgian house that you run up towards and it all looks very flat and safe and then you get out into a field a grassy field where there's a lot of these obstacles that belong to a race called helen back mm-hmm. uh, and then the climb really starts to bite and it's a mixture of grass forest trail fire road and slightly rockier trail nothing hairy but it goes on for a good while like you're basically climbing there from around 6.8k into the race until nearly eight and a half right so that's that's it it, it has a fairly steep gradient as well i've whenever i mark it even i feel like it goes on for a while that one so that's only the second climb of the race and if you, especially if you're in the the other races, you know where there is a, a lot of climbs, you have to be careful there. 
um, not to overcook it. Um, because the next climb, which we'll talk about in a second on Great Sugarloaf, is much, much longer. But for the 19K guys, they have immediately, they have this lovely descent off the Sugarloaf. It's, it's one of these classic Irish descents on a grassy trail between the ferns, a little bit of footwork there. Um, and then you straight away, you have a, a very a steep, rocky climb. It's quite spectacular because that trail is extremely rocky. There's a few stepping stones and you have the little Sugarloaf peak like right on your left. But it's quite steep. So there'll be a lot of power walking there, I expect. Um, and that takes you over the southern ridge and then you have a really really fast descent like a real leg turner all the way down into belmont where the water station the only water station of the short race is located and for all the other distances that's the final water station you know and by the time you get there and um, you have roughly four just over four kilometers left to, until you're back um, but that obviously involves climbing back up towards brayhead from the other side yeah, and I think once you get down to sea level it, again, then I think everybody should have enough, hopefully enough left in the tank. And I think you can trust your body that you will be able to push hard from the bottom of Bray Head as you come off it down to the finish line. Let it all go. Just empty the tank. It's, it's only going to be a couple of minutes and uh, it wouldn't be a great feeling to be able to really push hard. As I always say to a lot of the athletes that I work with running myself, um, it, it's a great feeling at the end of a race when you beat the guy or the girl beside you over the last four or 500 meters. So especially in the trail race where time really isn't the most important thing, if you can get your, the person beside you on the sprint finish in, and that's always a good feeling. And there's a great possibility of a really good, strong sprint finish all the way along the promenade, just as we get to the finish line. It was actually a question I got yesterday from the trailblazers on when we, as I said, the group that have been preparing for this, um, and we had our last call and one of them did ask, you know, what, when can you actually just begin to think about opening up? And yeah. I don't think there is one right or wrong answer to that because it depends a little bit on your style. Yeah. And, you know, do you like a, a long finish or short finish? But I would kind of reckon for most people, once you get to the flat stretch between the two Bray peaks on the return journey, all you have left is a reasonably flat trail a fast technical descent, if you like that sort of stuff, and then the flat promenade. So that could be the point if you feel good don't leave anything at that stage but of course that see that wouldn't apply if you're really poor on the technical descent yeah you know then yeah. then, then you might be better off push to bray head know you have to tiptoe a little bit down that last summit and then you really need to push it on the promenade you know where where technique doesn't come into it as you say it, it's all strength and stamina and speed yeah yeah and um, moving on to the 30k then i suppose in the 30k it's maybe timely just to remind people of the importance of nutrition and getting their fueling on board because this is when you know we begin to go over the two and a half hour mark and beyond for this um course here and also just a reminder that you cannot get external assistance so if you're taking on your gels you really need to have them with you and, you know, a strategy that we often talk about with our athletes as they're getting ready for these big races and marathon road races and so on is try and get something, I think, in every maybe 25 minutes to every half an hour. Um, and even that would be the same for a, a trail race like this over 30K. Try and maybe consume something every 25 to 30 minutes. What do you think? 
Yeah, that's the rough advice as well. We told this was obviously a question that came up too, you know, because people are very aware that nutrition is something you can really mess up. Um, so if you are in the, the slower end of the 19K or once you get into the 30K, you know, you definitely will run out no matter what you do because you will, even the record time is well over two hours. I think it's about two hours, 21. And, yeah. and that means for most people, it'll be probably over three hours. So you're into the kind of marathon territory where your tanks will be well emptied. So you have to get your glycogen stores topped up if you want to run at a reasonably high intensity uh, for you. Um, and 30 minutes is a good rule of thumb because it allows you to take small enough servings that you can reduce the risk of stomach upset. Yeah. You know, and most gels, as we say, they're 25, 30 grams of carbs. And that kind of that, that would give you 50 to 60 per hour. And generally, they say that 60 to 90 grams is the max a person can actually tolerate. Um, 90 is a lot. Okay, so most people just can't tolerate that. So you're probably safer off trying to see can you get along with about the 60, maybe 70. Um, you do have on this course for the first time, you have an aid station. So there's an aid station at the bottom, the far side of Great Sugarloaf, which is part of all the longer courses. And the 46K and the 80K pass it twice, you know, coming out and coming back. But in the 30K here, you, you have the cruelty, basically, of having to drop down to it as you're making your way around the Great Sugarloaf. So the Great Sugarloaf is one of the longest climbs. Um, you know, it's, it's a very continental style race. I think I've mentioned this to you own, in that unlike most races in, in Ireland, you you dive from the mountains into these villages, you know, much like you often see when you watch the streams from Switzerland and France, etc. So, of course, you start in Bray and then you drop into the whole Belmont estate and then you come back out over a hill and then you dropped into the village of Kilmacanock, where you actually cross the motorway or the national way, the N11, on a bridge, you know, that goes across. It's, it's, less, it's quite a unique thing in itself is to run across that bridge after you've just left the mountain. And then you begin this long 40, four kilometer, nearly alpine style descent, because the Great Sugarloaf is much more rocky than a lot of the mountains we generally associate with Wicklow, you know, because as you make your way further into Wicklow, everything gets softer and greener and browner. But out here closer to the coast, they are coastal mountains that formed at the bottom of the sea, you know, so you're actually running up through shale for bits of it. Um, and eventually you come down to this aid station where there's a selection of foods for people like, you know, flapjacks and melon and uh, fruitcake and these sorts of things. So that's something you need to take into account in your planning that, you know, what energy are you going to carry? And the advice is to be semi-self-sufficient. So that really means you should have most of what you need uh, on your person and you should not rely on the aid station, but it is there as an option, right? So the 30K guys have two places to get water, Sugarloaf and Belmont, and they have one place to take some of these snacks, which is here at the Sugarloaf. So you can kind of plan that into your meal plan. And obviously, mm -hmm. if you take something there, you probably won't, you'll need a gel less potentially, right? Because that covers that half hour. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the great thing about this race and the majority of the Eco Trail races, Benny, is that the, the finisher rate, despite these, you know, nice little challenges that are thrown in there with the 4K descent, and I know there's a, there's a good long uphill as well of just over two miles, that the finisher rate is very, very high. So anybody that stays stepping up from last year's 19K to the 30K, the finisher rate is well over 99%. So for anybody that's a little bit apprehensive, a little bit worried about what they're hearing, just hang in there. Just hang there. Nearly practically everybody will make it to that finish line. 
Yeah, it is because there's three way there's three things in place that try and help people get you know a successful completion. That's a key part of the eco trail ethos, by the way. So that's something that that was handed down to us, you could say, by the people who invented the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is that we have very generous cutoffs, especially for the shorter distances. They get a little bit more onerous for the ADK, but the ADK still has a much higher completion rate than most ultras would have. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of ultras are looking at you know, as you know yourself, own twenty to forty percent. Yeah. Uh, so this is obviously an 80k so it's a little bit of a shorter ultra but also they, you have 12 and a half hours to do it you know which okay. is which is we only have every year five to seven people roughly that don't complete it so yeah. it really isn't too bad um and for the other distances it's even better and you can also be rerouted so it's something some people might not be aware of that for some of the cutoffs along the route if you miss it you don't actually get retired you get the option to go onto the shorter course okay. so you you know, so an 80k runner, if he misses a certain cutoff, it's up around Jouse, they get returned to the seafront via the 46k route. And some of the 46k guys get returned on the 30k route. So, you know, you still get to finish a race. You cannot win medals. That's the only drawback because obviously you didn't start together with the people of that race, you know, so you're kind of blind competition for them. Not that I think it's really going to happen, but that that's how it is. Yeah. And um, moving on to the 46k, Renee, we've got the beautiful... Powers Court waterfall that we get to take in as well. And I suppose as we move on to the two bigger distances, there might be a good point to ask the question. And it's a question that comes in to the Eco Trail social media accounts a couple of times a year. I'm sure you get it from the Eco Trailblazers as well. And in the longer races, is it a good idea? to use the hiking poles or not. We see it, I think, on the continental races um, a lot more so maybe than the Irish races, especially on the shorter Imer races. Um, I, I know from talking to some of the pros on the European circuits what they think, but I might just ask yourself what, what your own opinion on it is first. What do you think, Renny, for the, for the 46K, the 80K? Um, should people have a pair of hiking poles with them? Yeah, I think this this rate suits hiking poles very well. Uh, once you get out of you know the early kind of you know the masses at the front, you don't really want it there. But a lot of the gradients are very suitable because they, especially as you say, when you're running the paces of the 46k and the 80k, um, you you're really into power walking territory, and they can take a lot of load off the legs there. Yeah. And because several of the climbs are fairly extended, you know, two, three, four kilometers, you have time to get them unfolded and get into a good rhythm with them if you know how to use them. That's always the key, right? If you don't know how to use them, then you need to watch a few YouTube videos and get practicing. Because if you use them wrong, you're just carrying them. You know, they're literally not doing anything for you. Yeah. So you do, you do need to instruct yourself. But if you know how to use them, you've practiced a bit. You have time, you, if you'll just pay, make a mental note, where are the climbs so that you have your poles ready to go by the time you hit those steep sections. But I think they're definitely an advantage. It doesn't mean everyone will use them. You know, some ultra runners just, I suppose, doesn't work for them. You know, they feel faster without them. Yeah. Um, and that's no problem. You know, they, they're absolutely not mandatory, but there's no doubt at all that they give benefits. And research show that as well with that caveat that you have to know how to use them. Yeah, and I've seen that in practice, Rennie, as well. I remember around 2014, 2015, um, they really became fashionable with all the Spanish runners. I noticed all the top Spanish runners began using the poles. And the guys that were using the poles were the guys that were getting all the good results. And now if you look at the likes of UTMB, which I know they're, you know, they're maybe longer races, slightly more technical, 
but they all get out the poles and they use them for power walking. And I think in a race like certainly the 46K and the 80K, absolutely a good idea. Um, and if not this year, maybe something to work on over the winter time and into the springtime for anybody who would like to try them for, for next year. Um, and just to highlight, Rennie, as well, that if people have time to go on to the ecotrailwicklow.com website, each of the race distances has some very nice detail about, say, the average speed of, of runners on each of the courses. So say, for example, as we're talking now about the 46K, the average speed to bear in mind as you're moving through the course over the years has been eight minutes, 10 seconds per kilometer. So that's something nice to maybe aim for as well, to try and get in ahead of the average marker for the last couple of years. You can see the course records as well for the 46K. It's just over four hours and three minutes for the men and 4.29 for the women. Um, Moving on to the big one, Rennie, the, the 80K one. It's a very exciting race. They have an early start at 7.30 in the morning time. It's always a, a really spe special atmosphere, I find, um, just beside the, the Irish Sea there in, in Bray at that time in the morning where it's all just a little bit quieter. The music hasn't quite hit the, the high volume just yet. And we've got the real hardy souls at half seven in the morning. Um, and any insight, Renny, you can give us to those that are running the ATK and maybe are just looking for one, one final tip for this course. Yes, you've left us. You, the ADK arrive at all the sites first. And, um, you know, you, so at this stage, you've left the power squad waterfall behind and you're making your way up to Joust Wall, which is this big wall near the, the mountain of Joust, which is the biggest hill we get near in this race, you know, at 726 meters. They don't go quite to the top, but the ADK runners are now entering the highest part of the route, right? So they have to run for a significant period with a bit of exposure near 600, over 600 meters as they are making their way towards the viewing point for Loch Tay, you know, which is the Guinness Lake. So you need to be make sure that you have your kit requirements, first of all, ticked off because it's more important than anything for the ADK guys, because if the weather is any way incremental, a bit of wind, a bit of rain, you could get awfully cold in that stretch, especially as you said, the lower speeds that they're moving at. Um, but what's really unique about that course this year is we've made a fairly big change to it because we got some access rides through uh, basically a farm track. So runners are going off what's called the Wickler Way a bit earlier than in previous years so that they can divert down to what's called the Vartry Reservoir lakes. And so it's obviously big water reservoirs that have these beautiful flat trails around them. So they're very runnable. There's, there's nearly no climbing. And the only climbs that are there are kind of really short. Um, mm. But you used to only do five kilometers of that in this race. Now, right in the middle, like slap bang in the middle of the 80K, you're doing 12 to 13K that are nearly practically flat. So that's a dynamic you have to have in your head. There's a cutoff coming into this so you need to make sure you're on pace for that. Then when you get there, you, there's a cutoff going out of there. So you, you need to be very aware how long you have to get across those 12 to 13K flat. And you need in your mind, probably, this is what I would think, to say, I need to be fairly fresh still there. Because imagine coming to 12, 13K of flat running after being out in the hills and the legs are totally gone. You know, it would be such a waste of opportunity. You know, if you can still move somewhat well you know i'm not expecting people to be fresh as daisies there but if you can still move somewhat well you can get around those 12 13k fairly handily compared to the rest of the route sure uh, you could stick five or six minutes into rivals in the groups beside you 
on that part. And as we've spoken about, Rennie, a couple of times on the podcast podcast over the last year or so, you know, and races like this, this is where you can really get the benefit for anybody that has kept in touch with their flat speed. Because 10 to 12K of flat running, yeah, you could be running 30 seconds per kilometer ahead of somebody who hasn't quite done enough work on the on the roads at this point. And it's going to be fascinating to see the lead group, I think, in this one, as they approach that 35 kilometer mark and then they come off that flat road um, around the, what, the 45, 46 kilometer path as they make that final big massive climb up and uh, before they begin to make their way down to the finish line over the last 20k. It's going to be some fascinating racing. Yeah, just as a nerd of this sport, you know, like we, we are Owen, I think, you know, the I am really interested how it's going to change the dynamic compared to future years of or past years, you know, because they it's it's a very different type of middle section than we had before. Um and, and there's not too many races like that that has such a long flat trail in the middle. You know, so I I really look forward to seeing how that's going to play out. Um, one thing for people to remember there as well is there is a few more aid stations down in this late part, um, but most of them have cutoffs, you know, so just be really aware of that and be prepared, you know, that if you do miss them, um, at that stage you will retire, you know, and you'll be waiting a few minutes for a bus and uh, to be sent back. Uh, you know, to to live and fight another day, but hopefully still have some some kind of muted celebrations. You know, better luck next year at the seafront. Yeah, and this is, speaking of celebrations, I think for anybody that's listening, who's going to maybe bring out the the kids and bring out the husband and wives and so on, and I think a lovely time of the day to be at Bray will be between roughly about quarter past one and five p.m. That's where we're going to have all the winners, male and female, of the 19K, 30K, 46K, and then hopefully the winner of that 80K race. Roughly around 20 past three, well, maybe the, the female winner around half four. And then, of course, we'll have all the warriors of the 80K coming in from, from what, between maybe half four and roughly 7 p.m. maybe will be the bulk of them. So there's going to be a real lovely sweet spot in the afternoon between just after lunchtime, one o'clock, to five o'clock where I think the the atmosphere at the finish line is going to be really fantastic. Yeah, I think we've seen that in previous years. I miss a lot of it, Owen. You don't. You get to see the whole thing because I'm ahead of the 80K the whole day. So I, I don't get back there until eight, but I've seen the videos and the photos. And, and Bray Seafront is a great place anyway, you know, because there's so many cafes and bars, et cetera, where you can enjoy yourself. There's going to be a big screen this year, I believe, which is going to try and share uh, hopefully a good bit of footage from the course this year, although I know it's kind of experimental what we are doing the first year. Uh, so hopefully yeah. we, can, we can pull off something that, you know, that that is, um, I have already say a building block for future years, getting more and more live coverage of the action and um, that's happening out there, which is something we we would really like to see. But, you know, that means there's going to be a lot going on down there. There's also a whole festival. Um, attached which some people mightn't be aware of so you can go on visit Wicklow um, and I think it's .ie and you will find that one of the top articles there is about the Ecotrail International Trail Running Festival and there's actually a whole menu of activities so there's stuff going on both Friday Saturday and Sunday you know tours to Glendalock um, guided trail running on the Sunday there is um, a neon run 3k at the promenade which is especially targeted at kids 
Um, there's a press conference on. You're probably leading that, are you? Yes. On, on the Friday afternoon, we'll be talking to some of the, the people involved in just um, the background of the race, getting the race organized, some of the people that are working alongside us as well. Um, we'll hopefully try and get maybe one or two of the of the star athletes that are going to be running this weekend as well. And, and it's always a very exciting weekend from a racing point of view, Rene. And there's always a couple of surprises, isn't there? So for people that are going to be there um, in that part of the afternoon between one o'clock and five o'clock like I always try and interview the winners and just to give people one example of, of a fascinating winner that we had there I think was it last year or or just before COVID maybe was Joe Warren who won the 80k race and Joe I used to race against Joe over 800 meters and uh, Joe was a, a was and is a, a fantastic runner over 800 meters and 1500 meters I think even this year I think he was a medalist in the Masters World championships on the track so joe came along and, and he went out and he won the 80k so like you never know just who's going to be there on the day who's gonna you know pull a result out of the bag and then to get the to get the chance to, to talk to these people as as they enjoy their moment of glory it's always a real privilege and um, they're always fascinating interviews just to get the insight into their into their great performances so again if anybody's listening bring the kids out, you know, bring the partners out and it's going to be a great afternoon. And um, maybe last one, Rennie, any little final tips, kind of general paper tips that, you know, we've spoken about before in the podcast, things like avoiding a deep tissue massage a couple of days before the race, making sure that, you know, you don't try any new socks, any new shoes, anything like that. And um, I know you were talking to the Eco Trailblazers last night. And um, what were the final things that you, that you passed on to them? Oh, we were mainly, we were actually, we've nearly covered it all on because they did ask about things like massage. They asked about what they should eat. Um, they asked about the pacing strategies, which is stuff I think we've covered fairly extensively. So well, someone asked me what uh, should they do because they didn't get as much hill work in as they had hoped. So maybe that's a good one because it's something I haven't necessarily mentioned specifically before. And the answer is trust in the fact that running, normal running still carries over heavily into mountain running and mountain walking okay so if you're a fit runner if you've done good training even though most of it has been on the flat don't panic you know you can still have a good race that fitness doesn't just disappear the moment the gradient changes you know maybe it would have been a slightly slight advantage if you'd had more time to kind of acclimatize and get used to the steep climbs but it is what it is not everyone can live next to big mountains so if you're fit you're fit and you know don't face don't let it daunt you you know it, it'll probably work out just fine once you get running on the climb and i think we've seen that many times over the years where good road runners with minimal hill exposure have found themselves in a hill race and they've done very well yeah yeah exactly and i know one good tip Rennie, as always and we've spoken about it a lot for anybody that has any understanding of their heart rate zones it's just to avoid really going into zone four and zone five, certainly in the first 75 to 80% of most of the races. And for anybody that's not familiar with it, um, it's really avoiding those high 150s, 160s, 170s. For the majority of people who are in that standard range, um, it's not going anywhere near that too soon. No, for most of these races, unless you're trying to run the 19K really, really fast, um, you nearly have to put your memory back to your most of your long hill runs over the year. Like if you're not more or less as comfortable as that early on, 
you're going to be in for a lot of suffering later in the race, you know, so that that's definitely good advice on, you know, it has your breathing and everything has to feel quite comfortable for the beginning of the race. Um, because you, you, you're going to be out there. Most people listening to this would be out there longer than most of their long runs. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, Wilson, Rene, um, enjoy the build-up to it, and um, you'll be out in the course, no doubt, and making sure everybody is getting around safe and sound. So, guys, if you're listening, and if you see Rene out there, make sure to give him a wave. I'm not too sure if you'll have the, the red Danish singlet on next weekend, Rene, like you did in Clonmel, but I'm sure people will be able to spot you. Yeah, no, I won't be. I don't think I'll be wearing the singlet. I think we have new gear, Owen. You know, Bill, I haven't seen it yet, but I saw some jackets that were being made for us. So maybe we'll be easy to uh, recognize. Okay. Otherwise, there, just look at go. some someone who is frantically, you know, barking at a phone with an overloaded WhatsApp app on it. And that'll probably be me. Right. Well, listen, best of luck, Rene, and I hope to see you, um, if not early on Saturday morning, Saturday evening when you make it back to Bray, hopefully in one piece, and we'll have the majority of our runners home safe and sound to Bray. Rene, thanks a million for that, and listen, we'll take care, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, I will talk to you. Our feature interview this week is with one of the very best talents on the Irish mountains at the moment. He's prepared to put in the hard work and he has his sights set on becoming the very best that he can be. Winner of 10 Imre races this year. And as you're about to hear, a few of the surprise wins too. Ender Cloak, welcome to the show. And it's a real treat to have one of the big guns with us on the show this week. One of the favourites for the 46 kilometres of Eco Trail Wicklow. So I suppose to kick things off, and how how does the, the final week of a big race like Eco Trail look and feel for somebody like yourself aiming to be i'm sure on the podium right up there at the business end of things on saturday afternoon and um, how is the body feeling and how is the last week shaping up uh first of all Owen, thanks so much for having me uh, it's absolute pleasure big uh big fan of the show so thanks so much for having me the last oh, uh, the last few days up to the race i suppose would um mostly about recovering just trying to keep fresh and uh, body is body's kind of sore this time of the year like i'm after i've had i've had two marathons now on the road the last two weeks so i had i had kilkenny on saturday i did the full back there i did the full 42 um i ran i ran a 238 in kilkenny and then two weeks previous in dingle Um, i got a late entry so i said i'd kind of do it for the crack really and i i got a 235 there so um, body's kind of sore. I haven't haven't been able to kind of do a whole lot now the last last two weeks just with the race and so. Um, it's mostly recovery based, I'd say, from from now until Saturday. Yeah, and, and let me just back up there Anna, for a second because that has just thrown my my uh, my pre prepared notes just out of the window because I was trying to just do a bit of research just on you before the interview and when I was googling your name. Those two marathons just didn't come up on Mr. Google. So I totally missed those two results. So apologies about that. So let's just back up two weeks ago, Dingle half marathon and 2.35. And then did you, I presume that must have been up there right up the top end of the results in Kilkenny as well. Was that up on the podium in Kilkenny? 
Yeah, yeah. Both of them, both of them actually were. They're were, they were two very different races. Like on uh, Monday evening, I think maybe Tuesday morning, I got a text from a colleague. He said his father can't make Dingle. So he has a number. If you want to take it, then I can. So I said, absolutely, I will. So um, Seth, my partner, went down for the, for the weekend and I didn't have any great expectations to be honest I hadn't, hadn't seen the course in Dingle I didn't really know what it, what it was like but I had a, I had an idea it'd be fairly fairly hilly which would probably suit me to be honest so I kind of went out with the fellow who was leading and it was it was strange because there was a half and a full marathon starting at the same time on the same start line so I thought the fellow I was running with was doing a half so I was I was checking the watch and we were we were clocking like 340s I said granny's he's probably on for like a one one seventeen or one eighteen. Then after about five k, I was chatting to him and he said he's in the full. And then we we kind of had set out our stall then for kind of two thirty five pace. So we said we'd we kind of get as close to that as we can. So it went right down to the wire. It was only it was only the last two hundred yards I'd say when I was just able to pull away from Vivian Vivian Foley, I think it was, and just bent him by three seconds. So he really pushed me to the wire. Um, and this was in Dingle, was it? This was the first marathon. Yeah, that was that was oh. Dingle. That was um, wow. That was that was that was two weeks ago, and I had I had already signed up for Kilkenny as well. Um, I signed up weeks ago, and that was on that was on Saturday. So I had to do two of them in two weeks. Um, wow! And and I mean from. From a coaching point of view, from a performance point of view, I know often in the world of trail running and mountain running, we can get away with maybe multiple ultra races over the course of the year, as opposed to, to road runners who kind of maximum might do at a push two, two road marathons over 12 months. But you've done two now in two weeks and, and you won Dingle and you got the win in Kilkenny then as well. Yeah, I, I got the win in Kilkenny as well. I ran I ran two thirty-eight, but like that was that was on my own and it was probably a an easier course to be honest. The weather was good, like it was it was cool, so you didn't need to hydrate too much. Um and it had a had a nice crisp feel to the air, but there there was nobody kind of nobody to push me. So it was it was hard to try and break two thirty five, whereas in Dingle I had Vivian to push me right to the line. So um, I was. It wasn't as hard an effort in Kilkenny as it was in Dingle, so I'm not sure. Well, not well it's, it's still it's still 26 miles on the road, and 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 just talk to me about the 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 the, the rationale behind that because most people would just break down with two road marathons like that back to back and competitive road marathons as well. I know you were saying in in, in Kilkenny you didn't have anybody to push you. But you still had to run, you know, a very swift pace on the roads over 26 miles. So is it Emma, just that you just have this natural ability to take punishment? Because you've had an incredible racing season. And I was going to go into that later on. And apologies again. I'm going to get onto the Google <laughs> algorithms because when I was typing your name a couple of times today, those results just didn't come up. So I'll have to check that one out again. Um, but apologies about that. But what did come up and it was, was all those um, fantastic wins that you've had on the mountains, 10 wins out of 15 in the IMRA calendar. So is it just that you have a natural ability to be able to handle 
these big races because I, I don't know if you've had much um, of a history with injuries over the years or certainly not this year, but it sounds of it, you're just knocking them all out of the park. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that there could be, a, could be a couple of factors that would contribute to it. So I'm touch wood, absolutely blessed. I've had no injuries at all. Nothing major really since, since I started. Um, I did, I did 12 years of, martial arts when I was younger I started when I was five and I went up to 17 so I think my my joints and my muscles and tendons are kind of conditioned from from 12 years of that like I'm quite flexible and fairly fairly mobile I've I've never had any kind of niggles and kind of overuse injuries so I think that that would probably probably help in the long term and then I suppose from a job like I'm I'm working in the, the air corps at the moment, I'm based down in the car camp. I'm training the class of the 98 class down there. So a lot of the job would be walking with weight and on navigation exercises in the hills. So I suppose when you're when you're doing stuff like that on a fairly regular basis, you kind of build up a tolerance to it after a while. So joints yeah. are fairly, joints are fairly strong and, you know, tendons are strong. So I don't pick up a huge number of injuries, but there probably is you know, a small case of just being pig ignorant and just being able to soak it up and just keep on cracking on when, when things are getting tough. And well, I mean, I think most of us would love to be able to race so often, to perform so well so often, but just most of us mere mortals can't end it, you know. And there, there was one thing that really struck me there, apart from the day job where you're just, you know, you're you're working hard every day, you're, you're building muscle and strength every day, you're building endurance every day on, on top of the running training that you do as well. But what really struck me, what you said was um, that you have 12 years of martial arts training. And I'm sure that has a massive impact on your injury prevention. I remember listening to the Real Science of Sport podcast by the world-renowned sports scientist, um, Professor Ross Tucker. And he was saying that, if he could recommend to parents of a sport to do for kids, it would be gymnastics in terms of just setting their body up for future success as an adult because of the flexibility and strength that they would get from gymnastics. And I think actually martial arts and karate, I did Kempo karate when I was younger for a couple of years as well. And I think the strength and the flexibility you get from 12 years of a sport like that will just set you up for a lifetime as well. And you can see the results there and it's incredible. Yeah, and it's it's probably easier for me to keep it topped up as opposed to starting from the beginning, you know. So I set myself a challenge a few months ago trying to do the front splits by the end of the year. So um, starting, starting off with a bit of a base definitely helped. And having a small kind of challenge like that, to kind of get you up and do a couple of minutes every day just to have something kind of knocking away as a, as a challenge definitely helped. And I'm, I'm kind of blessed, like, hamstrings haven't had any major issues and Achilles haven't had any major issues and hip flexors are usually okay so I think I'm fairly blessed in that regard yeah and I suppose we found out about the two marathons when I asked you about um how was the week shaping up for eco trail and I presume like the competitive beast that you are you'll be going out to try and certainly podium and certainly try and win the 46k at the weekend in eco trail and so what 
what recovery strategies are you using that say our listeners can maybe learn from and use themselves to help you recover from now most people won't have two road marathons in their back pocket over the last month but what type of things are you doing recovery wise then just to help get you ready for the 46k on saturday um it's it's probably stuff that anyone really can do like there's just a lot of um a lot of stretching a lot of, a lot of foam rolling um a bit of kind of working a tennis ball into any kind of hard places and i'd usually do it after after a little shuffle or few cave run just when you kind of get warm um i'd usually stop like i would i would very rarely go for a run without stopping i'd always stop after maybe 15 20 minutes and just stretch and do a bit of mobility work and anything that's kind of tight i would stretch out then so it's it's primarily stretching uh, a bit of foam rolling i was in a sauna today um and kind of alternating between the sauna cold showers in the steam room and after then i had a bit of a bit of a stretching session felt a small bit better and then i suppose hydrating uh sleeping keeping your your fueling up like that's that's one of the things that i learned this year when i went into ultras is um most of the time when i've hit a wall towards the end of a race it's nothing to do with fitness it's always to do with the prep so my my first ultra was morris mullins and absolutely flying it had no issue feeling great and then i was going about a chrome woods and i think i had maybe maybe 5k to go and dehydration absolutely shut me down and i i had a a report i put up on imra over the race and uh that kind of detail exactly what happened i just ran out of fluids and it was nothing to do with fitness it was nothing to do with you know how strong i was or how fast it was it was purely hydration and I think if if you can nail all those little things on the head that have nothing to do with fitness, um, I think you can you can usually have a fairly a fairly good race or at least race as as close as you can to your your full ability on race day. Yeah, and um, do you have a coach, and or are you coaching yourself? I coach myself. I've never I've never actually had a coach really. I I think that um, I suppose for for my for my job and stuff it's kind of hard to to have a coach like i can't really do the whole you know session tuesday session thursday short hill and long run on sunday like i've a i've a 24 hour shift on thursday and i can't sleep so yeah. it's kind of hard to get a get a track session and then when you're when you're working for 24 hours and then obviously i'm going to come off on friday i'll have no sleep so i'll have to have a nap and then I'll probably go for a shuffle and then I have a second nap in the afternoon to try and catch up on a sleep that I lost. So like I would I would look at what other people are doing and I'd I'd read up on the sport and I'd look into the science and I, I think nobody knows your body better than you. Like if you look at say Stephen Scullion, like when he goes for a marathon, his his kind of plan or race will be he would only have a coffee and maybe a gel just before the start. And he'd have a he'd have a lot of food the day before, but I'd be the complete opposite. I'd have a huge breakfast, and I'd be on a start line eating a jam donut and having a red <laughs> butter. Just if it works for you, then it works for you. 
And I think yeah, I, I saw that on one of your race reports. All right, and um, that I think the day before you were in the supermarket and happily stocking up on with as many carbs as you as you could. Um, and just I suppose to, to play devil's advocate and for a second, um, do you think that this quantity and level of racing like doing two road marathons back to back now granted two fantastic results and two wins and all going well you'll be up there in the podium at the weekend 10 race wins out of 15 and the other five races i think we're all podiums as well in, in imra do you think that that's sustainable um or for example on the roads and this is maybe more specific for the roads as opposed to the mountains but i'm sure you have very ambitious plans in the mountains as well like 238 and 235 are fantastic wins on the road but perhaps a person with your abilities could be down around the low 220s so what's your plan for the next whatever 12 months 18 months is it to race as much as you can get as many wins as you can or is it maybe to sacrifice some of the quantity to get a little bit more quality and take that in, in the in the most respectful way possible because a win is a win but you know what i mean in terms of say a road marathon i'm sure you'd love to go low 220s for example yeah i would but i don't i don't think road marathons are really top of um the priority list why i was like i've, I've a load of races signed up for this year i have I'm, I'm nearly racing every week like i had i had stone cross i had the two marathons i have eco trail on saturday i have two races in kievena i have a couple of cross country races i have <laughs> marathon. and for me the, the list goes on and the wins continue for me it's 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 not really like there there's there's probably not really a, a physical benefit or a physiological benefit of doing two racing two marathons in two weeks and then with eco trail it's going to be three marathon plus races in three weeks but f- for me it's definitely the kind of mental side of you know no one's asking you to do a marathon one week after doing one before and you're going to go on a start line and you'll be you'll be tired and you'll be sore and you know you won't feel like doing it but to then have the resilience to make that decision say well i'm still going to do it anyway and to be able to run from the first gate to 42k with you know stiffness in the legs and you're feeling tired, I think that will translate somewhere down the line when it comes to a to a trial race for the world's next year. And I'm I'm after going out too hard and I'm I'm 30k in and I have some like Eddie O'Connor breathing down the back of my neck and I've Dylan McAvoy coming up as well to to be able to be in that place before where it was it was it was sore you were you were tired but you still got through it. I think that will pay dividends somewhere down the line, eight months time, nine months time, when I'm going for a trial that I've been there in the past when I've wanted to do it, um, when no one made me do it. And now when there's something on the line, I, I, I think having that kind of bit of grit will maybe make the difference in winning a race or winning a trial or something down the line. That's what I'm hoping if, uh, if all things go to plan anyway. Yeah, um, talk to me a little bit more and about the ambition on the mountains and the trails. So, because I think from listening to you, um, the, the two road marathons, one of them was by chance, and another one maybe you just signed up for it to enjoy to enjoy it and to test out the mind and the body, as you said. But it sounds like your your real love is on the mountains and on the trails. Um, 
what are your ambitions for the next two or three years on the mountains and the trails? Because you've had an incredible first two years. I think it's only about, what, two, three years in the mountains so far, race win after race win. You had your first um, first couple of Irish caps this year as well, and we can talk about that in a second. Um, you, you can see that you're ambitious and you want to go as far as you can. How far do you think that you can go or, or where would you like to go on the trails and on the mountains? Uh, from from this year anyway, I've decided that it's, it's definitely the longer stuff that I want. Um, okay. I, I, I wasn't really sure when I started last year. Like I was kind of doing everything that sort of came my way, but since I started in a few ultras this year, that's when I, that's what I, what I really want to do. So the, the plan now is working towards the world champs in Austria. They're on in June next year. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So kind of everything is kind of working back from them. So like I've, I've been looking at booking a chalet for a month in May to try and go over there, get used to the altitude. And I'm, I'm working off probably March will be when a, when a trial is. And then, you know, two months previous, there might be a trial for, you know, the the Celtic Cup, and everything that I'm going to be doing now, from I suppose when when the Euros finished in July, up until I'd say February, everything is geared towards the world, the world, the world, the world. Everything is geared towards that, and I want to really give it a good crack. Like I was, I was 29th in Europe this year, mm. in in the 47k in Lakama, yeah. and. I know I can do a whole lot better. Like, like there was, there was so much that I had that I knew I should be doing. Like I, I knew I should get the mileage up. I knew I should get the elevation up. I knew I should be doing the sessions. I knew I probably have a kilo or two of weight that I could drop. I knew I should have, uh, you know, um, rested a bit more. I could have got better sleep. I could have hydrated better and all these little things. If I, if I can implement them now, by the time the world's come around, um, I think I'll be, in a in a much better place and then see how that goes i don't know if i want to go further than that into kind of the the proper ultras like the 80ks and i've had this this fantasy of doing a wickle around since last year I was, I was trying to do it last christmas um but i didn't didn't get around to it so it's on the back of my mind it's an itch that i'm wanting to scratch so uh it's it's definitely the the longer stuff that i'll be i'll be pushing for in the next few years Okay, it's great to hear the ambition and there really is. And, and just to put that into context for the listeners, the, the 29th that you got in Europe this year, I think there was maybe only about 60 people in the race. So to be, to be 29th, to be in the top 50% of Europe, that's a very good stepping stone. Certainly what was I, when I was running on Irish teams, I, I, was, I was good enough to make the Irish teams, but I was never good enough to, to compete in the top 10%, 20%. So a, a good, a good um, goal for me was always to try and be in the top 50% of the field. Sometimes I got it, sometimes I didn't. So I think for your first international championship, to get in the top half of the field is a great place to start. And it sounds like you want to just keep on pushing on, pushing on. And I saw this year you went to, to Austria, to Gross Lochner, to try the uphill only race there as well, which I'm sure was just a massive step up and standard again. But just like what Zach has shown us over the last couple of years, when he's been going abroad to race against the very best in Europe, that's what you need to do, isn't it? You need to go and race against the very best in Europe. And I'm sure you picked up lots of things in La Palma from seeing the Italians, the French and the Spanish all kicking ass over there. Yeah, it's it's massively different to what you'd experience here. You know, like if I go to a race here, 
you're probably looking at have, having a good chance of winning. And then when you go to somewhere in Europe, you're just getting hockeyed. And you, you can't even see the winners who are, who are so far ahead. So I think that's that's really what's needed if you want to compete in Europe. So you get used to kind of organise yourself for flights and how you deal with the stress of that. And are you drinking enough water on the flights? You know, are you are you wearing the right shoes in the airport? Are your legs getting stiff then? And, you know, kind of getting used to the whole atmosphere of being abroad, I think, you need to get used to it so when you go to the the major champs it's not so much of a culture shock like the first first time that i ran for Ireland, it was nearly this time last year it was nation's cup over in kievena and i was absolutely starstruck absolutely gobsmacked I, I i just thought i was an imposter that i i shouldn't be there i don't deserve to be there you know you see all the all the countries with their lovely kit and their flags and whatever and you think what am I doing here? You know, I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. But then the more you kind of get used to it and the more you race, you think I actually deserve to be here. And, you know, I'm, I've earned my right to race here just as much as anyone else. And I think take, taking that, that shock away when you go to the, to the big champs can, can definitely help because you're not as nervous then you can, you can race to your own ability. You're not worrying about what other people are doing or what other people are thinking. And I think that's, that's probably how I've had some, I suppose decent enough races in I suppose in Irish Fest last year relative yeah. to my own performance you know I don't think that I had any bad races I was never up near the top but I think I, I raced close enough to the best that I could um, by just kind of getting used to all these little new things that that come with with racing abroad yeah, um, and of course the weather, a big factor as well, racing in heat in the high 20s and the low 30s, just that we don't get at home at all. So, uh, you know, y- you probably do need to factor in a little bit of warm weather training as well, like in the build-up to these championships. I'm sure for Austria next year, it's going to be hot there as well. Um, of all the, the wins that you've had over the last year or two, and is there any one that stands out as a real joyous moment. Um, I'm sure qualifying for La Palma what was a great day and guaranteeing your spot on the team. Um, is there anything else that, that pops out? Uh, probably wasn't a win in terms of in terms of podium finishes, but a win in my eyes was was definitely racing over in uh, Nations Cup last year in Kievena. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was it was a substitute for the world. So the worlds are planned for Thailand and then yeah. they couldn't go with COVID. So I think, I think the rumor was that Italy had a huge budget and uh, it was set aside for the worlds. And if they don't use it, they'll lose it. So they said, we'll host the nation's cup then for anyone who qualified. And I did the world's, the world trial. It was in uh, Logan Quilla and I was, I was third. I didn't make the qualifying time and that was grand. Like I was, I was happy enough. And then I get an email from Leo a while later and he said, uh, you know, Bally Valley Bladders, Nations Cup going ahead, would you run? And I said, absolutely, of course I will. And I got picked then and it was it was great. And like last year was just just a, a really challenging time, I'd say. Like I had a lot of things kind of going wrong. Like I was I was on a course in work, a career course, and like that, that was going terrible. I was failing everything and everything was going wrong and kind of felt like a bit of a, bit of a failure. And then that kind of carried over to 
the relationship that I was in at the time and like that suffered as well and that fell apart and then I suppose the three main things that I was focusing on would, would have been running and uh, the course that I was on and the relationship and then I've I've lost two of them um, by September and I, I, was, I was kind of kind of in a bit of no man's land like I, I didn't have anything to anything to work for like running season had just kind of finished and you know I, I I spent the last six months thinking I was I was a failure and you know not good or anything and then going to Nations Cup it completely completely flipped it you know and I was we had we had wrecked the, the end of the course like it, it comes down a bit of a kind of a lane along the river and then you take a left you go through some cobblestones and um I was I was coming in the cobblestones and I, I was having a good race like I was I was second out of the four Irish which for me you know was was huge like and I was just coming down the cobblestones and I kind of realized that look you've you, you've finished it you know you've, you've had a good race and you're actually good at something you're something to be to be proud of like mm. and I remember just crossing the finish line and said nothing I just walked around the corner sat down absolutely bawled my eyes out in absolute you know it was, like, it was like a waterfall couldn't contain myself it was just this huge wave of emotion it was it kind of it was like everything that you've done you know the last six months everything that went wrong the one thing that you still had was was running and you are good at something and like that's the thing that you enjoy that's the thing that you like the most so you need to kind of do it as much as you can and from then it just gave me a completely different outlook on running completely you know um mm. absolutely fell in love with it absolutely fell in love with it and uh haven't looked back since and i think that was the kind of driving force for giving hills a, a good good kind of crack then you know and trying to take things a bit more seriously because yeah. i realized how how much it does mean to me you know to be to be to be good at something and to have something to be too proud of you know so that, sure. was, that was that was probably the 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 catalyst that kind of got things going then for, for the last year yeah, and was that then the winter when you were running a lot of cross country with your running club Slaney Olympic, and I think you were county champions as well, or was that the winter before that? That was the same winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same so, winter. Yeah. So when everything was going well, you were running well into cross country too, picking up championship, county championship medals there as well. So it was all coming together nicely for you. Yeah, it was all coming together nicely, and it gave me a good a good foundation for for the start of this year and the only issue was once I finished with cross country there was kind of nothing else going on so I didn't have any races to kind of check my fitness or to see how I was getting on and then I didn't have anything to kind of to kind of work towards and then my training kind of kind of dropped and then I got to February and there was the trial for the Celtic Cup and I realized I haven't been doing sessions. I haven't been doing long runs. I haven't been doing hills, and I, I kind of felt a bit behind. So, so that's why I'm kind of racing so much now, is to give me something to work for and to always have a kind of fitness check every few weeks just to see how I'm keeping on. Um, so I don't get to February and you know be missing out on long runs and sessions and hills. So hoping to to stay in good shape for February that way. Yeah, isn't it wonderful how 
running, racing and training can be just a, a therapy for, for so many other problems that are going on in, in life. Um, do, do, do you feel that you've got a good balance back in the now that you're, obviously your, your running is, is better than ever, you know, performance after performance? Do you, do you think that the other parts of the triangle in life are, are balancing themselves out as well in terms of um, if, if, if the course didn't quite work out, the other part of the triangle, your your work life is going back okay again. You've got a good circle of friends, maybe a new partner, maybe you're, maybe not. I suppose the reason why I ask is because I think running can be a great therapy, but we don't want to put all our eggs in the one basket either because then maybe an injury comes along or we have a bad performance and then we get really down because we can't run anymore. And we need to have just the other parts of our life, you know, in a healthy place as well. So do you feel you've reestablished the, the, the three sides of the triangle again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what I what I learned from that is, um, you can just like I said, you can put all your eggs in one basket. And when one thing doesn't work out, then you don't really have have anything else that you're you're kind of filling your your time with. So I'd recommend like anyone who's who's um, focusing on something, you know, to a to a high level, have something else to do on the side. So if you're yeah. all into running, you know, do something like, you know, learn to, I don't learn to crochet or grow a few plants or, you know, something so that if you have an injury, there's something else that you can yeah. focus on. And even something like I used to do um, a few months ago, I was, I, w- I was trying to, you know, slowly get to bed a little bit earlier and, you know, do it a little bit more running and a little bit more stretching. So I, I, start to read like three pages a day and then if i read a book and just read three pages well at least it's a small achievement and then Mm -hmm. you can get a bit of motivation for that and then transfer it to i'm going to do a little bit more stretching and i'll do a little bit more core and i'll do a little bit more distance and then all those kind of small wins that have nothing to do with, with 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 running they build momentum and then they can help you with getting a bit of motivation for all the things that are going to help you with running. So definitely have a have a large portfolio of uh, things to do and things that you can you can see progress with. Because when one thing doesn't go to plan and you've nothing else on the horizon, things can it's, it's very easy to lose motivation and then it's hard to kind of get those habits back and get back into the saddle. Then you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that pretty much covers off the last question that, that I was going to ask you about what tips would you have and what's your what are your top tips for the listeners just before we sign off? And you covered it beautifully there. And um, what, what I might just finish off and then is that the listeners probably don't realize that you're actually a national senior track medalist as well with a bronze medal in the steeplechase um, from back in 2017. Um, any plans to go back onto the track and uh, the steeplechase anytime soon? No, not, not a chance. <laughs> the, the steeplechase medal was funny. I was, I was actually fourth and I was well behind the top three. And then I think it was, I think it was Jamie Rossiter. He, he was DNF'd. He stepped inside the track and right. he, he yeah, and then I got bumped up from fourth to third, so it was, um, <laughs> yeah, as as luck would have it. So I had a bit of imposter syndrome standing up on the podium there at my my bronze medal, but they all count. So 
I, uh, Absolutely. It's a national senior track medal and uh, not many people have those. Edna. So to have that on top now of a few Irish singlets and by the sounds of it, plenty more to come. Asher, who knows, maybe a, a top performance and a top individual international medal at some stage. So why not dream big? Um, and uh, thanks a million for a, a wonderful, wonderful interview this evening. Thanks for sharing all that. I'm sure lots of people are going to be inspired um, in, in general for the season and certainly ahead of Race and Eco Trail on Saturday. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in action this coming Saturday. And thanks a million for, for joining us. Thanks, Owen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. a wrap for this week everybody thank you to Edna and Rennie from Running Coach Ireland and as I said in the last show great as always to talk to people who share the same passion as we all do from our tribe from the mountain and trail running world of Ireland good luck to everybody participants the eco trailblazers running their first trail running race this weekend and of course the organizers of eco trail Wicklow in Bray it's going to be a great day out and do pop over to the finish line to say hello and to see in person some great racing live in the Wicklow Mountains. And if you do like the interviews that we do, the training tips from Rennie, of course, as well, please do pop over to patreon.com to support the show if you get a chance, as it does help to keep us going. Everybody, see you in Wicklow on Saturday. See you in Bray. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Bye.